Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad to be here today? Amen. I wouldn't mind rewinding some of that. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Thank you. I, I want to thank the choir and orchestra and all those also who come early and, and uh, go out to Mason Creek. Uh, pray for Mason Creek. We had several new families there today. Everything's going good. There's still a big devil in the sound system. If you know, if you've, you've been around here long enough to know, that's where the devil usually uh, is. And uh, we need to do something with that, but uh, it'll wear you out trying to preach or sing out there because nothing's just working right. But it's good to be home. Amen. I wanted to be sure and get back here for that choir sang, uh, and I wanted to hear uh, Leslie sing again, too. Uh, we, I think we cut her short this morning. I'm sorry about that. I don't know how y'all did it here, but we, we cut her a little short. At, uh, they started laughing. Is that, oh, my soul, that girl be ruined for life. Good gracious. You know, uh, <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know what I did? I got in here without my notes. <laughs> 75601 is my, uh, right outside that door. Look in there in the front seat. I hope, I may not have them. They may not be in there. Well, we're going to look at Romans chapter 13 is where we're going to look. <laughs> I've got, <laughs> that don't mean a thing with this mind right here. Let me tell you. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. The first seven verses of this chapter deal with our relationship to the government and how we should submit and how we should be responsible to a, to a government. Now, I felt like probably you all had about all the politics you wanted in the last few uh, week, so I just kind of overlooked that part right there. But I want to remind you of some very important fact that God does ordain. That's not it. Is it? Are they? <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know if that's it or not. <laughs> yeah, y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. Huh? <laughs> uh, that's what happens when the choir does one of them cray-cray songs. <laughs> Amen. The whole congregation is cray-cray from then on. But basically, uh, I want to remind you of a couple of things. God does ordain governments, and we're to submit to them because they are our government. And uh, sometimes we like it, and sometimes we don't. But it's still in the Word of God that we respect that. Uh, and uh, that still holds true. The second thing I want to remind you is we need to praise God that in my 65 years, we've never got the government that America deserved. Because we've left the Word of God and we've left the things of God and we've gone so far to the left that thank God we haven't got the government that we deserve. We deserve far worse. Romans chapter 13, this is a funeral service here, but I'll go ahead and preach anyway. Uh, it's the wrong notes, but that's all right. Romans chapter 13. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, turn in your Bibles there if you would. Verse 11, would you stand please in honor of God's holy inspired inerrant word? All sufficient word too. 
Praise the Lord. We need that today. And that, knowing the time, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Father, thank you this morning. We have a great time just praising and worshiping you. Lord, thank you that you have saved us. We're being saved, and one day you're going to come back in that cloud with the trumpet sound, and we're going to be eternally saved. And uh, we look forward to that day, but God, until then, burn within our hearts the desire to serve you, to increase the kingdom of God, to be concerned over folks that are lost without you this morning. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We just think this morning about the spirituals, believers' duty. What is our duty? Now, we, we don't like that word duty sometimes, but he, it really just preaches right here, right out of the Scripture. Our duty, first of all, he said in verse 11, is that we watch diligently, knowing the time is high time. My mother used to say that. It's high time you learn something. And he's saying here, listen, it's time. The time is right now. You need to watch diligently. What do we watch? Well, number one, we watch the seasons. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but if you look back in the newspapers and you kind of look at things, uh, uh, I want to tell you, the Lord's coming soon. It's evident on every hand. Now, what we have many believers who are doing now, we're just kind of cruising through life. And he's saying, look, it's time you get up. It's time you wake up. This is too important of a life and too important of a decision to be lackadaisical about it. We've got to watch the seasons. The Lord is coming soon. Jesus uh, in Matthew 24 said this, if the goodman of the house would have known when the thief was coming, he'd have been ready. The problem is the thief comes when you don't know he's going to come. And Jesus is going to come when you don't know he's going to come. We have no idea. Anybody who will tell you, I know when the Lord's coming back, is just goofy as a load of persimmons. I'm just telling you right now, we don't know. We don't know the time. All we know is there will be a time that he's coming back. So we need to watch the season. And then we need to watch the sleep. Hmm. It's high time to awake out of sleep. Thursday night. Uh, Well, I was in Dallas all day Thursday. Drove home Thursday night. My wife has one football team she goes after, and that's Green Bay. Uh, And uh, I got in from Dallas late, and I sat back in that recliner and pulled that gear shift back. And I was just, I was enjoying watching Green Bay, and suddenly I was lost. You know, total out of it. See, that's what sleep is. Sleep means that you're unconscious to what's going on around you. If you see somebody like that this morning, you might nudge them right now. It'd be a good time. You're unconscious to what's happening around you. And what Paul is saying here is, look, wake up. Don't be unconscious of what's going on around you because Jesus is coming back. And I want to just remind you, maybe we need to be reminded of this. Uh, I had 
I had a lady tell me a couple of weeks ago, she wished I didn't talk on hell as much, but guys, your family, when they die without Jesus, they don't go to purgatory. They don't go to pass the gold. They don't collect $200. They go to hell. And we need to understand that. The very people that we love so dearly down here, we need to say, look, it's high time you woke up. If you're going to tell somebody about Jesus, you better tell them. If you're going to show somebody about Jesus, you better show them. So we, we watch for the sleep. And what happened Thursday night, I got there and got dozed off. And, man, I was out cold. I went to, uh, I went to sleep. <laughs> and Green Bay was ahead. And I knew it wasn't probably a good sign because I didn't hear Becky shouting a whole lot. And I woke up and I said, well, who won? Well, it wasn't Green Bay. <laughs> While I was asleep, all this was going on. Listen, you must be awake. We need to make sure we're awake at what's going on in this world around us. There are too many people with their heads stuck in the sand. And I'm not preaching politics this morning. I'm preaching the Word of God this morning. And that's exactly what he says here. Watch the seasons. We need to watch for sleep. And then thirdly, he said, we ought to watch for the Savior. He's coming back. I heard a song this morning. I liked it. it, it the old boy said, uh, the reason I love heaven is for the first time in my life, I'm going to get to go to sleep in a gated community. <laughs> now, some of y'all already live in a gated community. Isn't that nice? But I tell you, when we get to heaven, they're not going to be, nobody's going to be knocking down the gates. If you don't have a prepared invitation and a reservation there, you don't go there. And so we need to be watching for the Savior. Paul says it like this, your salvation is nearer than when we believed. Now, there are three stages to salvation. When you get saved, you're justified immediately and you're saved. You are saved. You were saved. But also the second stage is what we call sanctification. You're being saved right now. God's molding and making us into the image of his only begotten son. So we're being saved. But I'll tell you one thing. Man, when that sky splits in the east and that trumpet sounds, there's going to be a savior. We will be saved for eternity. That's what we need to look at here. So we watch diligently the seasons and the, the sleep and the Savior. And then it's our duty also to war diligently. Now you get my age and some of the ages of you in here, and there's no doubt we're, we'd rather be lovers than we would fighters. But I want to tell you, that's not the way the, the spiritual warfare is set up. You can say, I'm not going to take a stand. You've already taken your stand. Thank you. And it's to compromise and not do anything. You either for He said, those who gathereth with me is with me, and those who scattereth abroad are not with me. That's what the Word of God says. It's our duty to war diligently. This is a time of crisis. And Paul is saying the time to sleep is way past there. It's over with. Every day people are dying without Christ. Every day people are hurting in here. Uh, and, and in all of our area, we've got a young man, our children's ministry, discovered that their family, and, and folk are proud. They, they, they're not asking for anything, but kids, be honest. 
You can go over there in that children's area today and ask a few questions. I can find out anything I want to know about you. <laughs> anything I want to know. And we, they discovered that this young man didn't have food to eat during the week. So for the last three weeks, our children and preschool ministers there have been packing him a backpack. He gets off the bus and he gets a good hot meal here. And then they put him back on the bus with a backpack with enough food to handle him through the week. Now, folks, I wish I could tell you that's the only one I know about. I'm not talking India. I'm not talking Haiti. All those are true. I mean, every bit of that's true. I'm talking East Texas. There are people who need Jesus right now. And Paul is saying it's time the crisis is here. If you're going to do anything for Jesus, you ought to do it now. I had an option this morning. I've got a wonderful sermon on chest of Joash. I decided not to preach it because some of you, you get fidgety when you start talking about money in a Baptist church. So I thought I'd just add in a few Joashes in here. And, and maybe we'd be through with it before you knew it even happened. <laughs> Tonight, you get an opportunity to make a sacrificial offering for the chest of Joash. And all of it goes to build this new children's building. And I've already told them, one more week of rain, just one more. I'm going to Dallas. Our convention's got a big tent. And I'm going to bring the thing back here. And we're going to cover that whole thing with a tent. And then they can work on it while it's pouring down rain. But God's trying to teach us something. It's a time of crisis. We need that building not because it will make this church look better. We need that building. If you just had an idea of what went on here on Sunday morning with people scurrying, trying to move tables and get things ready. And our children are over there. They don't have Sunday school classes anymore. There's not room for them. Our children's leaders have learned to just diversify, and they just teach kids all over the whole uh, grand hall, wherever they can get a corner to put them in. And then the same thing's happening in children's church. Right now, while we're sitting in here, and, and incidentally, starting the first Sunday of December, because you have said, we don't like this, we're going to bring it back our children are going to be back in here starting the first Sunday of December uh, to worship with us, and then they'll leave in the, in the middle. We did that for your convenience, uh, but uh, because it creates like 125 chairs. Uh, but you, you'd rather be crowded and the kids be in here, and I'd rather that too. So anyway, that's happening there. But right, right next to us here, there'll be 50 to 55, maybe even 60 preschoolers. Worshiping God right over here. This is not a time of saying, well, we'd like to have this building. I, I want to be honest with you. Our, our, our uh, building team, now I, I'm not, I don't want to falsify anything, but we had an architect that drew up just a bunch of junk that we don't need. And we're in the process of culling all that mess out. So this building's not going to cost what he thinks it's going to cost. We don't need lights that come on when you walk in a room. If you ain't got sense enough to flip on a light, then bless God, you ain't got no business walking around with a driver's license. We, we, we don't need temperature that just controls. Anyhow, all I'm telling you, this is not a luxury over here. It is something we need over here. 
It's a time of crisis for our children. Can you imagine next year? Dream with me just a minute. In spite of the preaching, in spite of everything else that's here, our children, when they get in that building, I promise you will probably double in the first six months they're there. Can you imagine 250 of them rugrats running around here loose? Huh? All for the glory of God. It's a time of crisis here. But not only is it a time of crisis, it's a time of commitment. The idea of this verse is a man rising from his sleep. And I read Dr. Ronnie Floyd's book. He's a good friend of mine. I knew it back before even the book. But Ronnie always said, winners do not hit the snooze button. Yeah, they don't hit the snooze button. Back when I was younger, when that alarm went off, you slung them covers out and you swung those feet out and you got up. Amen? Now, I just kind of ease those covers up. (laughs) And then I slide those feet around. And you have to sit there a minute now because you'll go crazy if you just jump right out of bed. You'll be seeing walls and, and everything else. I'm telling you, you ease out. But the principle is still the same. You don't lay in bed and keep hitting a snooze button. He said the commitment is to get up and get on with the things of God. Paul uses the word armor. We could say he's speaking of a new recruit that shows up for maybe uh, uh, the army or the Marines, and, and they get on a bus, and they go out to California, and, and uh, you know, they say, yeah, you know, this, this young guy or older guy is going to be your mama for the next six weeks. And he begins to barking out orders to you, what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And afterward, you're going to come up and say, sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know if they put it on my sheet or not, but I usually sleep to about 7.30. <laughs> so on that first run y'all have, I'll meet you at the cafeteria. And then I'll join you the rest of the day. You know how far that'll go. And yet that's exactly what we got folk wanting to do. Lord, it's not convenient that I really serve you. It's just just not convenient. I never preach this without thinking about the pig and the chicken at Thanksgiving. They decided that their master had been so good to them that they probably ought to do something in return. And so the chicken says, I've got a great idea. Let's furnish our master with a ham and egg uh, breakfast. And the pig looked over at the chicken and he said, say what? He said, that is sacrifice on your part. But that's total commitment on my part. Now, you may not want to believe it and you may not like it. But I'm just telling you, this book right here teaches That when you come and the blood of Jesus is over your doorpost of your life, you don't have an option anymore. You're dead to yourself and you're alive to Christ. That's why we were talking in Romans 12 about the living sacrifice. That's the problem with it. If you're a living sacrifice, you've got an, an idea to crawl off the altar when it gets hot. He said, I want you, you're committed, you're dedicated. All we can do is get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. What do you want me to do today? That's it. That's it. You say, well, I've got things mapped out. 
Well, maybe you ought to take your little precious map, wad it up, and throw it in the trash. And present yourself to the Lord today and say, Lord, what you want me to do, I'll do. I'll do. The third thing here, though, that's evident in the Scripture is our duty to walk diligently. Now, excuse me, it carries over here in verse 13. Uh, He said, let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in, and he lists these things. In the King James, it's rioting, drunkenness, chambering, wantonness, strife, and envy. Now, what he's saying here is he wants our exterior life to be the same thing as what our interior profession is. If we're professing to be saved by the blood of Jesus and we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then he's saying your exterior life, your physical life ought to show reference that you've had a change on the inside. Because when you've got a change on the inside and it's not changing on the outside, probably there's not a change on the inside. I'm convinced that probably many people have a hard time staying clean and living for God. Because, honestly, they've never been saved to start with. Now, I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but I am here as the pastor of this church to get you to examine your life. And I don't want a soul in this building today standing before God saying, my preacher never challenged my salvation. If, if I can convince you you're lost, you're probably lost. Because I want to tell you, when Jesus comes in and saves you, he makes you a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm not here to try to get you to doubt. I'm here to try to get you to examine and to understand that if you go through life and you're not sure of your salvation, on that day you won't have another shot to be sure of it. The words he will use are, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. So I'm just telling you right now, the first thing to walk diligently and honestly is to make sure that we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. That means that we can't save ourselves. Men don't like that. We're prideful. We can do anything we need to do. I'm convinced if a woman had been leading the nation Israel instead of Moses, a man, they'd have got there 39 and a half years earlier. She'd have stopped at a 7-Eleven and asked for directions. But men don't do that. We don't like to do that. But I'm telling you, when it comes to salvation, you don't have a thing to do with it. It's not based on what you can do for Jesus. It's based on what Jesus has already done for you. And the only way you're going to have salvation is you to humble yourself before him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And then those that call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved you got to get that nailed down. He said, walk honestly, a decent walk. And then he said, we ought to shun a devilish walk. And then he lists out some things there. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on them there. They're pretty well self-explanatory. If you've got a modern translation, uh, it'll, it'll be even more modern today. But in the King James, it says rioting. That simply refers to wild parties. College fraternities and wild parties and things like that. Woke up this morning, and I can't remember if it's Longview or Tyler, but somebody was laying in a honky-tonk parking lot with a gunshot to them. Well, let me just tell you, if you're at a honky-tonk at 2 o'clock in the morning, 
I, I don't know that you ought to expect anything different. I'm just, I'm not making light of it. I'm just simply telling you my big problem, your big problem is this. We want to condemn the world for the way they're living when in reality, we don't need to condemn them. They've never seen the light. They don't know who Jesus is. They're walking in darkness. The devil has literally blinded them. So you just, let's get off our high horse and quit blaming the world. We're the ones who ought to have the light. We're the ones who ought to walk in truth. We're the ones who ought to be faithful. It don't matter what the world does. He said, you need to shun this rioting. And then he said, drunkenness. And usually in the New Testament, when you have rioting, you have drunkenness that follows. It talks about, it can be alcohol, it can be drug abuse, uh, uh, but they usually go together. Then the third thing there he mentions is uh, in chambering. You say, well, whoa, chambering, what would that mean? Well, the King James was a lot nice. That's talking about shacking up. It's talking about sex outside of the marriage. And I want to tell you, folks, the Word of God still teaches that there's one way. One way for a family. And that's for a man and a woman to join together. That's the only way the Bible talks about. Now, I know we've got this guy last week who's 81, and he decides he's going to be 61. And he can do it. I'm 61. You say, no, he can't do that. He's got a birth certificate, and it says on this day he was born, he's 81 years old. Amen? Well, the only problem with that, you also have a birth certificate that says on this day a male was born or a female was born. But now suddenly we can be anybody we want to be. I should not have done that, I guess. I don't see that camera on up there. It, it, oh, Lord. <laughs> Folks, those are the things that we need to shun in this world. We've got to love people. We want to love people. But I want to tell you, we cannot compromise the view of the Holy Word of God to try to influence somebody else. The only reason God has blessed, I believe in all my heart in this church, is number one, we stand on the Word of God. And you, you can find all kinds of churches all over Longview, and some of them are standing on the Word of God, and praise God for it. But I want to tell you, the vast majority, I'm talking Baptists included, have come to the place where they realize that maybe the Bible is not totally inerrant. There could be room for some error. And the moment you come to that conclusion, anything goes. Anything goes. I tell my staff all the time, I'm getting too old for this. I'm not worried about myself. I know where I'm going. I'm ready to go. I enjoy being here. I love my family. I love my grandkids. I even like my kids. Especially love my daughter-in-laws. Anybody put up with those two boys? I'm not concerned about myself. But I got a little old boy, Charlie, three years old. And when he turns 18, I'd love to know that he's still in a church that says, Thus saith the word of God. 
that he's still in a church that no matter what law the government makes, he's going to be in a church that's going to say, this is what God says. And we're going to stand on the word of God. Then he talks about strife. We should shun that. That's a mindset that wants its own way. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. People constantly bickering and engaging in antagonism and petty disagreements. And I found in my ministry that people who are always asking questions, they're trying to set you up so that they can call you a liar later on. And you know what? We'll throw that crud away. We got too much to praise the Lord about. We've got too much work that we need to do to win people to Jesus to be worried about little old petty junk. I've met with five pastors this week who've been dismissed from their church. Not a one of them were dismissed for any biblical reason. They run into a power struggle at the church. And, man, those people were singing, I shall not be moved. And they weren't moved. And it's a cycle. They'll get rid of them, and two years from now, they'll get rid of the next one. It's just a cycle. I better quit while I'm ahead. Envy is the last thing he mentions. That's a jealous attitude. Don't you get upset when you hear somebody like Brother Aaron sing with a beautiful voice? Think, Lord, why are you giving me the voice I got when he's got that? Well, the good news is this. You're only going to be judged for what God gives you. I never will forget Billy Graham interviewing with Diane Sawyer years ago. And she asked him, she said, is there anything that you'd like to experience that you don't think you will? Without batting an eye, he said, there's one thing. He said, I would love to hear my Savior and Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, but I don't think I will. I remember standing there and I thought, well, then we just well to all go on. <laughs> I mean, if he don't think that, then what chance have I got? But then I remembered that each one of us are judged individually. Billy Graham would be judged on what God blessed him with, which was tremendous, and he did a tremendous job with it. I'll be judged on what God blessed me with. You'll be judged on what God blessed you with. Mm. Let, me, let, me, let me quit. Circle this airport and get out of here. The, the, the fourth thing here is it is our duty to wait diligently. To wait diligently. Now, a lot of people think when you're waiting on the Lord, that's laid back, easy chair time, no problem. When you're waiting on the Lord, it's the most busiest time of your life. You're praying, you're fasting, you're doing everything you can to seek the Lord and to seek the face of the Lord and to, to do his perfect will. How should we wait? Well, Paul tells us that we ought to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful the way you act. Now, and we could go back to reference uh, uh, Ephesians or Colossians talking about putting on the spiritual gifts and all of those things. But he says here, put on Jesus. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. In other words, we're to adopt his character. We're to adopt his lifestyle. I mean, 
I'm preaching to myself and all of us, but you put my lifestyle and my desires and my wants upside Jesus, and where do we fall? He's truth, so we ought to walk in truth. He's light, so we ought to walk in the, in the light. He's faithful. We ought to be faithful. He's holy. We ought to be holy. He loves the Father. We ought to love the Father. He's obedient to the Father. We ought to be obedient to the Father. And then wait properly dressed. But then he also says that we're to wait properly disengaged. Now you think, now wait a minute. He's just talking about being in, engaged in the things that we need to follow but there are some things we need to be disengaged about. Here it is. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Hmm. Make not provision for the flesh. That's talking about forethought or planning. Uh, the deal is, is he's saying we should not plan anything according to the flesh or the lust. Disengage from that. We ought to be walking with God, not walking with the flesh. We're going to be tempted, but Romans 6, 14 says there's always a way of escape if we desire it. You see, to make a provision for the flesh is wicked on our part. That's what the devil would love for us to do. But when we allow the Spirit of God to control our thinking, and to control our emotions, and to control our lives, the Spirit of God will lead us away from the flesh and draw us near to Him. And that's what he's saying here. We're to be disengaged with what the flesh wants, and we ought to be concerned with what the Spirit wants. If you've got a child that's in our public education system, teachers, I'm not getting on you. I love teachers. Love our schools. But you better be re-educating them when they come home that night. We laugh at the daycare here because this started about 10 years ago. I remember it, it was longer than that because I was in Fort Arthur when it started. But along about the spring of the year, April, usually right in the middle of April, all the little boys at the daycare would go nuts. And they'd start playing with little girls and grabbing them and things like that. And all I mean, it was just a wreck. And no one could figure out what was going on until suddenly we discovered that even in kindergarten, they're teaching about sex education. Real, just real easy. But when you tell a five- or six-year-old something, he's going to explore. Well, my goodness, when you tell an adult, you just put up a wet paint sign, every one of you going to touch it to see if it's true. Huh? We've got to quit fulfilling the, 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 the law of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. And I, I'm telling you as a church, we need to reach out to every lost person, period. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they're involved in. We need to reach out to them. And we need to tell them about Jesus. 
But when Jesus gets a hold of them, they're going to change their lifestyle. You're not going to have to beat it into them. I'll tell you this. When you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody's going to have to, to, to beat you over the head. <laughs> Some of you have things so planned for the future. You got your 401ks all set up. You got all your other CDs all set up. You, got every, you, you basically are going by the principle that I need to tear down these barns and build bigger barns. Because God's blessing me so much. But Jesus said, you fool. Tonight, your soul is going to be required of thee. And then who's going to get this? I'm not telling you you shouldn't plan for the future. I know you should. But folks, I'm just telling you, God has shown me and laid it upon my heart that the money we need to build this new building is sitting right here in this place this morning. And I'm not talking about with building for eternity. There's one theme throughout it, and that is not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. We've got ladies right here that are living in low-income housing that are given faithfully every Sunday to building for eternity. And then we've got other people in this place could write a check for a half million dollars and not be hurt as much as those ladies right there. I'm just telling you the truth. Let me get out of here. My car's parked. Hopefully it's ready to run. Are you doing what the flesh wants or are you doing what the spirit wants? Tonight as we gather, and some of you are not going to gather tonight, so I took the privilege of go ahead and putting the chest of Joash right down here so that you could come this morning and put your gift in here. We was at a funeral yesterday, and some prime, uh, very wealthy, important people at the funeral gave me an offering envelope. It has $2.40 in it. That's their sacrificial gift. I'm just joking. We were just laughing and joking. But that's what a lot of folk would do. Maybe God has pointed his finger at you today and said, look, this is what I want you to do. Yeah, but God, if, if he doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with him or anybody else has to do with what God wants you to do, what God wants me to do, Maybe today the whole honest truth is the first thing you need to do is come and say, I really need to be saved. I made a commitment when I was 10 or 12. I don't know what I did. And you need to come to a place where if you don't settle your salvation, you're never going to be able to help anybody else. Maybe today you need a church home. Mm, there's no place like Woodland Hills. I'm just telling you, I get that everywhere I go. People move off, and Pam Dykes is down there in Montgomery, and I get a note from her. You know, I've recommended churches, and she said, it's good, it's good, but it's not Willing Hills. Maybe you need a church home. This is the church maybe God's saying be at. And then maybe in the back of your mind, you're saying, yeah, but that church we visited last week, that preacher didn't ask us to do anything. Looked like this guy's going to bombard us. You're right. I don't think Christians ought to be sitting on the sidelines. I think they ought to be in the game. They ought to be serving the Lord. They ought to be moving forward for the glory of God. 
And when you do your part, what God calls you to do, this whole church will run and hum like a singer sewing machine. But when you don't, we got problems. It's God speaking to your heart this morning. Maybe just to wake up. Get up. Maybe you need to come to this altar. That's what these altars are for. Come and meet God and say, Lord, wake me up. Father, we're indeed humbled and grateful that you have cast your blessings upon this church. Your hand is here. Your spirit is here. And we praise you. We don't take any of that for granted. But I ask you today, Lord Jesus, would you have your way in hearts, especially maybe those who are sitting here this morning and they're saying, you know, I really don't know if I'm saved or not. Oh, God, draw them close to you. God, may the day be their day of salvation. Let your will be done in their lives today, this very day. We love you, and we're going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Would you stand together as Brother Aaron leads us?